Thank you very much, and thank you very much for the uh, invitation to come and talk to you today for, for this HISV conference that I've been really looking forward to. Um, it's um, the, when, I, uh, when we position this, uh, this thematic on the freedom of control of higher education, uh, it's returning to very uh, key um, and uh, 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 questions that are probably as old as the uh, university as an institution itself. The extent to which these are the types of organizations can decide themselves about matters they find to be important. So it's a fairly simple question. But yet the issue of university autonomy is so thorny when it comes to uh, its practices. Um, and it's also uh, a question that brings up the issue of what the university, kind of the, the basic fundamental issues about what the university is and what is the role of universities in society, in an economic order, in a political order, in a societal order. So this morning I just wanted to share with you some thoughts about university autonomy as they feature as university reforms, uh, government reforms in the, in the higher education sector, and also share some observations about shifts in what I refer to as the inner life of universities in the context of these reforms. I'll just try to uh, come to some observations when that concerns uh, the relationship between management and academia in the context of these uh, uh, university reforms. Uh, something that I will refer to as the uh, inner prestige economy effect uh, at the universities and also shifts in the practices uh, in, the, in the very important personnel policy area. So that's the battle plan. Um, and autonomy, why do we keep coming back to, to this issue? Uh, well, it is, uh, as I said, it can, it can be construed as, fair, as, as a fairly simple question about uh, the, the, the formal authority distribution in a, in a higher education system or within universities. But as much in university life is a matter of balance, uh, also the question of university autonomy is also a matter of balance. The balance in the system between government responsibility and institutional autonomy and, and how that plays out in the distribution of authority within higher education systems. So university autonomy is continuous issue in the higher education uh, uh, policy debates, uh, and partly unlike this, uh, this sad uh, elephant on a on, on, on ball trying to keep his balance, in the question of higher education autonomy there is no uh, fixed state of equilibrium, uh, but they are shifting. Perception of what constitutes an appropriate level of institutional autonomy can reflect what we can call a uh, certain zeitgeist, uh, dominant underlying vision with respect to the pre preferable model of governing the university. Uh, and that also reflects what are the visions of the university and how does that uh, entail different perceptions of the balance between, uh, between uh, uh, government responsibility and institutional autonomy. Uh, and it's also a part uh, this balance, uh, conception of the balance is part of the shifting university's social contract or pact with society, if you like. 
But I, I think it's also fair to say that it's not only a question of balance, but it's also a question of pendulum, pendulum effects. That uh, you see the pendulum swing between uh, in the distribution of authority between the uh, pendulum that moves back and forth. I'll come back to that, uh, that question later on. And this is, of course, not unique to higher education. If we are allowed to bring in French philosophers, we can argue that, uh, that the, uh, the, what Jean-Jacques Rousseau has said about the uh, social contracts and political rights are just as applicable to higher education systems as to political orders. So he says, government should prioritize the interests of its people over its own interests, and the people should be willing to accept limited individual freedom for effective political order. So in that sense, uh, there's, a, there's a big picture here about the, the, the role uh, of, uh, of, uh, of government, the role of um, leadership in, uh, in keeping uh, systems together. Well, so the institutional autonomy for, for, uh, in this context, we have a starting point. The issue that uh, autonomy University autonomy must be seen in, uh, in the context. And I think that's fairly important, uh, and uh, Helen already hinted to it uh, this morning, how government expectations concerning the role of higher education in socioeconomic development and social development, political orders, they have changed. So uh, it's, uh, it's a question what I think is, uh, you can see the higher education seems to be presented as a kind of transversal problem solver. And this is, of course, nothing new. Uh, we have uh, uh, already uh, in the uh, 1800s the idea that uh, higher education uh, should uh, contribute to the modernization of primary, uh, primary industries. Uh, uh, we have the, the role of higher education in developing the welfare state. Um, and, but this intensity of the notion of higher education as an instrument, as a problem-solving instrument is it become really intensified. Well, I looked at the most recent uh, documents uh, from, uh, uh, from EU education ministers. It's, and that it's not only a question of universities contributing to economic development to addressing the issues of uh, economic competitiveness, but it's dealing with refugee crisis, fight against, against terrorism. That's among the menus of problems that university try to, uh, are expected to address. So, that's the first starting point. Uh, the issue of institutional autonomy is linked to the, to, to, to the expectations addressed to the university, and the growing expectations and the composite, multi-dimensional expectations addressed to, to universities. The second starting point would be to say that the, the perception that in order to realize this, more uh, uh, effectively, universities must be modernized, must be reformed. So in a, in a sense, it's, um, uh, it's, uh, well, it's almost a question that um, we have, uh, in, in, order we, uh, in order for the universities to fulfill this role, it needs to be less like university, in a sense. It's a kind of paradoxical. But, um, uh, and what we've seen in the, uh, in the, uh, in the reform agendas of uh, governments across Europe is precisely that university reforms in this context becomes uh, a central element. 
And this is what triggered our interest in, uh, in a research project that we uh, have uh, recently uh, conducted at the University of Oslo. And I would like to re redraw the uh, European map a little bit for you, um, since um, uh, what constitutes Europe is, of course, a hotly debated topic today, and uh, what constitutes uh, uh, a region in Europe is, is, um, is um, also a hot topic. And um, what was uh, as is striking and the starting point for our interest at the, uh, in the question of university autonomy and, and uh, the academic inner life was the observation that this, almost like a horseshoe around Germany, the, uh, the countries along the German rim, they are, they seem, it, uh, some of these countries are almost, it can, are so small you can't barely see them. You know, the Netherlands is almost invisible. Uh, uh, Belgium is almost invisible. Denmark the same. Uh, but when we look at them as a region, it's a giant. 70 million inhabitants. Eight universities uh, inside the uh, top-ranked top universities um, doing well in so-called uh, so Champions League of, of Research. Uh, when it comes to bringing home um, uh, uh, Euro European Research Council uh, grants. So, uh, among the, gr the institutions that have more than 30 e ERC grants, uh, uh, this German horseshoe are doing extremely well. They have uh, uh, 23 universities that bring in more than 30 ERC grants. In comparison, UK, Ireland bring in, there are 12 universities like this. In Germany, only three. So uh, there are pockets here of, uh, of what is what we term there are uh, flagship universities within this German rim that uh, seem to be uh, doing well and uh, and also are interesting because they've undergone serious reform uh, measures and uh, and reform processes. So we were curious about these uh, uh, these uh, these universities and how they deal with the uh, with uh, with uh, the, re uh, the re most recent um, aut autonomy reforms uh, so uh, we had a project and uh, the project team was consisting of the core team was Tatiana Fumasoli that uh, who you will be able to meet uh, also during this conference Peter Malson and myself as the core research team but we had many several collaborators uh, in the Netherlands and also in Finland and other places. Uh, so what were, were our interests? Well, the core question, and well, most of the time, whenever I see an, an article or a student paper that says uh, uh, this paper, this project will fill the enormous gap we have in, in, uh, uh, in this and or this area, uh, I think that uh, th those gaps normally are more a product of the uh, researchers' ignorance than the, uh, than the reflection of the knowledge status. But there is some kind of argument, I hope, for saying that uh, there is a kind of a, a gap when it comes to addressing this issue. How is formal institutional autonomy used and interpreted at various levels? Uh, how, what do university reform actually mean for the internal life of universities? So, um, and uh, we looked at these questions uh, and interpretations at various levels within, uh, within the university, Rela not only the relationship between institution and, and, uh, and, uh, and the government, but also within the university and a special focus on, 
uh, on, the, uh, on um, the, the department level uh, or equivalent to the department level. So we have uh, several flagship universities in small uh, northern, northwestern European countries uh, and we look especially like on personnel policies and research management. First of all, when we look at the perspectives underlying university reforms, well, there is a, there's a clear, I'm not, I'm not going to go through the whole history of, uh, of a uni uh, university reform um, processes, but uh, there is a certain pattern in these countries where you go from central belief in centralized governance, hierarchy, uh, government's ability to control, and you go to a more ne negotiated conception on the, of, uh, of governance and control through through negotiation and the power dynamic between actors where the state negotiate with the core stakeholders in order to control uh, higher education systems and to the most recent competitive governance uh, oriented uh, uh, reform processes. And this is uh, the, the last stages here, uh, the last uh, point here that I, I will focus on in, uh, in, in, uh, in this presentation. But I think it's also important to understand that there are arguments for university autonomy within all of these three perspectives. But they are argued on a, a, and have different rationales. So you, you can have government control and still have an argument for giving institutions autonomy. Because the state is, may be smart and, uh, and uh, powerful, but it cannot do everything. So, uh, so it has to delegate some of its uh, responsibilities to, to universities. Uh, and also with the same with the negotiated governance, you have negotiated autonomy. Uh, and, uh, and then you have autonomy argued on the basis of, of as an element in competitive uh, governance. I'll uh, return to this issue. And the idea that uh, we have a dominant reform strategy ideology, at least since the 2000, contains these questions. Basic assumptions that autonomous university will, universities will be more effective in accommodating all these demands and the multiple stakeholders that have demands on the university. So the idea that autonomous universities are more able to, uh, to uh, respond and accommodate these various expectations. And the second one, the, that this requires some kind of strategic organizational actorhood of more autonomous universities. And that these strategic or organizational actors will be able to, to uh, uh, act in a way that creates healthy system, higher education systems, healthy integration and diversity uh, in, in the system. So it's a quite a strong belief uh, underlying reform ideology in, in, in many of these government reforms. And this means that uh, uh, the major condition, implication for, for universities, the inside of universities, is that enhanced autonomy has to, be, has to be used by professional leadership and management. And that, of course, implies some kind of consequence also for the inner life of the university. So if universities are normally perceived as, the, as loose, loose arenas for, uh, or collegial settings for, uh, uh, for academic discussion, you have to tighten the loose couplings in order for, uh, for universities to, uh, to act according to a model of strategic organizational actorhood. And that's uh, a very dominant, uh, dominant uh, 
perception. So it also constitutes some kind of university global reform script where you have focus on the in, uh, formal university autonomy and universities, uh, autonomous universities' ability to be more responsive and uh, that will, um, this strength and responsiveness will, will increase the effective engagement with the society and societal needs. So that's a fairly, and we have seen in, in these eight countries, we've seen university-free reforms earliest from, uh, from the 1980s in the Netherlands, but also all the way uh, up till uh, recently, in 2010, and in Finland with the University Autonomy Act, where, where these kinds of underlying ideas about university autonomy uh, come to the surface. The focus on university autonomy in many studies, and there have been many good studies of, uh, of this, it has been tended to be on the formal aspect of it, formal governance relationship with universities. But uh, what we see is that many of the studies of changes in formal governance relationship really cannot explain important aspects of what uh, goes on inside universities and what the interlinkage between reforms and in, in the workings of the uh, university is are, are really like. So we have to understand university autonomy in terms of something we term the uh, living uh, autonomy, the ways in which changes in formal governance relationship between state authorities and universities are perceived, translated and operationalized and used inside the universities involved. Um, so that's uh, the basic idea that there are uh, there is life and flesh and blood given to the concept of, of university autonomy. And what do we, do we, do we see? Well, um, just some brief observations about um, um, uh, the main, main findings in this project. Well, lo and behold, we have to look at the... Uh, kind of the, the, the neglected aspect, perspective on university reform in order to understand how universities, the consequences and the implications for its inner life from these uh, reform uh, processes. And the, uh, the institutional perspective, I think, would be, is essential in order to understand what actually is, has happened. So in the, in the institutional understanding, we have to look at the historical development as essential for understanding what, uh, what goes on and how university responds to changes in its, uh, in its uh, autonomy relationships. Uh, we have to know where they come from. They are some uh, that they, they represent a century-old history that they can evoke as an institutional sphere. And also many of these institutions have histories that can become birthmarks uh, that they carry with them. And university actors act in according to fairly stable principles based on rules of what are appropriate behavior for specific roles and situations. So that means that the practices of university autonomy has to, has to be understood from, uh, from the roles that universities have forged for themselves and also the roles and the pact and relationship they have with society. So uh, that's an important parameter in understanding uh, uh, how university reforms have been translated and, 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 uh, and uh, perceived and uh, enacted within the university. Uh, and we have an idea that the impacts of reform depend very much on the way they match with or, absor or are absorbed by 
the existing cultures and practices and the institutional identities in the universities. And I, I think we have fairly uh, a good evidence to show that, that that effect is actually quite important for understanding, uh, for understanding the issue of living autonomy. And also a major conditioning factor is the complexity of the basic production processes in universities. Those reformers that do not understand the unpredictability of academic work are in for a surprise when they try to reform universities. Uh, if they, the university is a set of activities whose benefits have to be enjoyed after they are accomplished, uh, ripe fruit that can be picked from a tree. This, and the same thing is uh, those are reformers who do not understand the conflicting loyalties uh, existing within institutions between institution, the needs of an institution, and, uh, and the needs of a discipline. Uh, also are in for a surprise when, uh, when they enact reforms. So, uh, something uh, about what actually happened when, with these uh, uh, flagship universities when, uh, in the wake of uh, these autonomy reforms. We, we tried to look at the relationship between management and academia, and lo and behold, not surprisingly, maybe, uh, we have seen that the universities increasingly uh, starting point, more centralized governance structure have been uh, installed. Um, and we have um, uh, the emphasis on more bottom line management with a centralization of decision making authority, also a standardization of academic practices, especially when it comes to education. Uh, and, um, and also a formalization of a, a administ the administrative side and practices of a university. So it has been, in some senses, it's um, a major characteristic that part of the university has become uh, streamlined in, in the sense of uh, being pushed towards a more executive model uh, with more centralization, standardization and specialization and formalization as, as main, main developments. So in that sense, it, it represents some kind of tighter coupling uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, of academic units and staff to in institutional management. And it's, but it's probably fair to say that it's not, this is not necessarily the result of the enhancement of institutional autonomy per se, but rather that the accountability and reporting demands that have been uh, accompanied these reforms have been enhanced. It's order in order to be able to be accountable and report to external agencies and actors, university leadership has formalized internal processes and procedures, evaluation and reporting requirements uh, in areas such as research output, quality of education, financial administration, international cooperation, and so on. So to quote from one of the informants in this, uh, in this project, um, the, uh, this uh, academic interviewed said, the administrative support structure in my, universities, my university has become uh, considerably more professional, but at the same time it's become more, um, less effective. So in that sense, uh, we have uh, one effect of, uh, uh, of uh, or at least one observation and development line in this project among these universities. So uh, more, most academic units and staff experience some kind of tighter couple to institutional uh, management, more in line of increased organizational actorhood. But, 
And this is important, I think. Uh, in order to realize the main strategic goal of flagship universities, well, we, have, we know that there are unpredictable uh, processes, uh, hard to control, um, we have, and we've seen that the most productive academic staff are exempt from this kind of bo bottom line management, and they are able to negotiate a looser coupling to institutional management. So you have, in some sense, a tighter, a tighter coupling in one, uh, one aspect of the university, but also a decoupling and a looser coupling. Uh, uh, of, uh, of parts of the university at the same time. Um, and I think it's, uh, and also to uh, re return to this effect uh, also, if I have time. Um, and there's also a, this kind of, uh, what, what can I say, it's a kind of tension in this area with more bottom line management emphasis. There's also some kind of um, uh, counter, counter movement and, uh, and, adapt and adaptation among, especially among department heads and some, to some extent also deans, that in the, there's a tension between management and academia are dealt with uh, by reintroducing informal structures and consultation arrangements. There's especially one case of the University of Helsinki that we found where that had gone through all these standardization, formalization and all these kinds of changes, but where, uh, where um, the academic uh, staff were re-included in forums, informal forums, and the code decision was brought much uh, back into the, in, into the de decision-making within this university. So, um, so in a sense, um, there are these uh, counter-tendencies that, that uh, illustrates how universities cope with these uh, kinds of changes. So, a consequence here is, in order to be successful as your autonomous flagship universities, uh, institutional management has to accept uh, or create or, uh, or, um, uh, some kind of uh, administrative free zones for certain academic staffs and members. And in some sense, this represents a kind of segmentation within universities. Uh, and a kind of uh, what we carefully refer to as the European version of uh, prestige economy, uh, 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 a term borrowed from Sheila Slaughter and her, uh, her development of the academic capitalism uh, uh, concept. So, um, and that means that there's a prestige hierarchy in external funding. Some money uh, have a high prestige and some other, and otherwise other money uh, is seen as low uh, prestige. And activities run by the uh, uh, where in, in areas where some uh, educational activities are run by administrative uh, logic rather versus uh, areas uh, top excellent uh, research uh, groups that are run according to more prestige competitive logic. So in that sense, there is this uh, uh, the idea that there is increased differentiation within uh, within the universities. But also here we see how universities adapt and try to accommodate, uh, accommodate uh, and, uh, and uh, reconcile traditions within universities, uh, European universities, uh, to these, uh, the effects of uh, a so-called prestige economy. Uh, when it comes to institutional per personnel policy uh, uh, matters, we've seen that the, the reforms have uh, 
Well, first of all, this area matters immensely, import, massively important for, for universities. This is where, uh, in the practice of, of hiring and, and uh, not so much firing in, in the case of these eight institutions, but, um, but uh, we found that the, this, is, uh, the, this is an area where uh, universities have been given more formal leeway, yet as state bodies, many of them are, are limited uh, there are some limitations to what they can actually do, but also there are more cultural limitations to what, uh, how much they can change their personnel policy practices. For instance, in the case of the Scandinavian countries, where, uh, where, the, uh, where the overt uh, wage discrimination is uh, less uh, uh, compatible with, uh, with uh, the local and national culture. And... Uh, Personnel policy practices uh, are much more important than strategic plans and strategy documents that kind of belong to the, the realm of uh, organizational actorhood. Um, and we've seen here that in, in, the, uh, in the case of personnel policy matters, mid-level leaders and managers have got much more formal and real authority in personnel affairs. That's a common trait in the, in the case institutions that we have looked at. But at the same time, when we actually, well, there's also, uh, we should uh, note, a more composite interests and considerations and kind, different kinds of logics that Tatiana has uh, described very, very well in some of her publications in the uh, actual um, practices and, uh, and of personnel policy, especially when it comes to, to hiring, uh, hiring processes. So there are more composite interests and considerations, organizational needs, departmental politics, excellence, relevance, these criteria are blended in, a, in, in new ways uh, in these institutions. But at the same time, the academic criteria, academic quality, productivity, is still more important than relevance criteria for selection of senior academic staff. Uh, and at the same time, it's also, it's kind of, this shows uh, how um, path-dependent path also uh, institutions are when it comes to the, to the area of personnel policies. Um, there are heavy, uh, heavy path dependencies when it comes to, the, to the, what we could call the organizational demography of universities that uh, uh, makes it difficult to act, act strategically in, uh, in areas of personnel policy matters. Um, so that's uh, uh, also an area where we see the imprint of, uh, and the dynamic of uh, complex dynamic of university practice when it comes to enacting uh, university autonomy. We, we uh, have the, uh, the pendulum effect. Um, also, uh, that we see uh, autonomy enacted at the, within the universities and the universities in the life. I don't know whether you've, uh, this is a picture that would uh, ring a bell with you. I, uh, this is the picture, picture that might look like it's a sit-in from the 1970s, but actually it's not from the 1970s. It's, uh, was it last year? Well, at the University of Amsterdam, where students occupied the administration building. Um, a very interesting case. Um, 
where major criticism at the, directed at the university leadership that it was too much focused on, uh, on economic results, not enough on focused on academic development. Uh, and in the end, Dutch government, uh, first and foremost the Dutch Minister of Education, agreed with the, the protest, uh, uh, made a proposal uh, and sent it to the parliament to shift uh, power in all number of respects back to students and staff, including areas such as personnel policies and budget decisions. So within this living autonomy context, the University of Amsterdam has set up an institutional committee that has developed three proposals for making the university more democratic and less centralized. And staff and students could participate in a vote, uh, referendum on these proposals. I know the referendums are, are hot stuff today in this, day, in this day and age. But on the 23rd of December, they could uh, uh, vote uh, on, uh, on, on uh, what kind of reforms, what kind of internal governance reform uh, these, uh, this institution would like to undergo. So uh, it's, a, it's a case where we actually see how how the concept of co-determination uh, away from a, re a reaction to bottom line management really plays out and also are, 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 given, uh, are given support by the central uh, government in order to, 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 to shift back some of the authority from, from uh, uh, university uh, management to, to academic staffs and students. So it's a, but unlike a mechanical pendulum, uh, living in universities are organisms that really return to their original position. So even, the, even though this may look very much like uh, University of Amsterdam in the, in the, uh, in the 19, uh, late 1960s or early 1970s, it's not the same kind of University of Amsterdam that it was uh, in the, that is, is it is now compared to to pre previous uh, previous um, situation. The, uh, always the challenge with these kinds of research uh, projects is to to kind of bring home the uh, the central message. I don't know whether we come any closer to understanding what's the key to the quality of academics uh, in the life, but um, I think it's fair to say that universities on, in our sample have undergone the changes that have been headed in the direction of a more executive style of management uh, in many of these cases. Um, and this is to some extent also uh, argued on the basis that universities now have such a significant share of the public purse in these, uh, in these universities, uh, in these university systems, that it's required to have uh, order in their house and uh, keep have they having their books in order? Um, yet we see from the flagship autonomy practices in, in, these, in these universities, uh, and these are universities with a fair measure of uh, success, uh, uh, amongst other things, in competition for research funding. Uh, but we see that they have been these reforms in practice have been adapted to the university's reality over time. And the universities had learned how to, to deal with this, yes. uh, and, uh, rather than the other way around. So that the reforms have been, uh, uh, become uh, modified and, uh, and, uh, 
and uh, accommodated within, uh, within the, inside the university. So in that, in that sense, it illustrates uh, a, core, a core factor when it comes to, to what determines the quality of academic inner life. Uh, something that James March, the famous organizational theorist, have argued is the, the combination and the balance between uh, uh, plumbing and, uh, and poetry. Plumbing being uh, the, the paying attention to, to, uh, to the university as, a, as an organization, making it running, uh, paying its bills, having a co common, uh, common and, uh, professional approach. Uh, like he says, um, uh, universities where the toilets don't flush is not a good, uh, are not good universities. And that's the same thing with, uh, at the same time, if you only look at the plumbing aspects of uh, and the uh, administrative uh, standardized the professional organization, uh, you, and you miss the poetry of the universities, uh, uh, you need to have a mix of these where you, you also have to, to nurture the mission and the, uh, the identities of uh, universities as an as a institutional sphere and as a particular, um, particular uh, historical and uh, institutional, uh, institutional organization. So I think I'll leave, leave you with this and, uh, and then we can leave, have some time for discussion. Thank you.